with branding, we're building new collectives, new identities, which build up new collectives. There's a psychological surplus to any product that has a really strong brand. Um, I think Zizek talks about this in relation to Coca-Cola. Is it not the case that the meaning gathering that's done by the Coca-Cola brand means that I'm not just drinking the fizzy liquid, I'm drinking a constellation of kind of meanings. So when you change the story around something, you change the something. What is branding to you? Giving people stories that they can tell themselves about themselves. Welcome back to another episode on, of Brand and Psychology by Skins Agency. Um, today, I'm kind of happy to have a friend of mine, as opposed to um, oftentimes having people who I haven't met much before. Uh, this time, I have with me James Day. Um, James is the co-founder of Old Gold Racing. Now, um, for some people, this might be news, uh, but this type of business has existed for a long time. Um, Old Gold Racing allows people to buy a single share in a racehorse. And we're talking about horses that actually win big championships. And with James, we've actually started, uh, well, I've, I've been throughout this journey with James ever since the very beginning of Old Gold Racing. Um, a bit of background on the company. Old Gold Racing started as a startup with a successful crowdfunding campaign. Fast forward just a couple of years is the second largest business in their industry. Um, and that said, uh, speaking to James felt like the right thing to do. But besides that, um, to be honest, it, James has been one of my favorite friends and clients to work with. It just, I believe it's because maybe because of his background as well. Uh, he has a research master's in philosophy of technology, and that's what makes him very interesting to have this conversation with. Um, that said, James, thank you so much for joining in. And I'm very much looking forward to recording one of our very lengthy conversations we usually have on, on these type of topics. Well, let's hope it's one of the good ones. Eh? Um, thanks for the intro now. All right. So I'll start with a question that I always start with. Um, very basic, but I just need to know from your side. So a bit, a bit more background of you, by the way. Um, James does not... Well, James is a jack of all trades when it comes to old gold, as most co-founders are. Uh, so although his title is COO, he actually runs a lot of the marketing and he's the brains behind most of the things that happen with old gold. And not only from a, an execution standpoint, but also from a strategic standpoint. This is what, what you know, I hope this conversation will make everything more interesting because it's not just execution, it's not just strategy, it's both combined. And so... Keeping those two in mind, James, what is branding to you? Um, yeah, I think just to add a little to your previous point, uh, it also means that I perhaps don't have the depth of experience in the branding and marketing side of things that many of your other guests will. So um, please be forgiving to me, dear listener uh, or viewer. Um, to answer your question, uh, the thing that really, or the idea that really stuck with me um, was I think it was from Seth Godin who said that either about marketing or branding, but I think it applies in the case of branding, that it's about giving people stories that they can tell themselves about themselves. <laughs> it is the first time 
So I'm taking a while to respond to this because it is the first time that this goes completely outside of the realm of business. Yeah, absolutely. So this is about people, for people, to the people, so to speak, right? Why do you, why do you choose to, to use that definition among all others? Well, I think that when you place something in a wider theoretical context, you're not constrained by the particular application, right? So if we can get as kind of wider starting point with our definition of what branding is, then I think it allows us to bring more to bear uh, when we start thinking about it. So we can think in a slightly more holistic way and I suppose reduce the number of uh, potential blind spots that we have um, in our formulation of the question. But look, telling people stories, what was it? Sorry, can you repeat that again? Telling people stories about themselves that... So it's giving people, it's giving people stories that they can tell to themselves about themselves. So you're giving them ingredients with which they can tell themselves a story about their identity, about where they've come from, about where they're going. Mm -hmm. And I feel that the, the brand element of any um, marketing setup really consists in that um, very psychological um, element. That's the thing. Um, so a lot of... Well, you'll hear a lot of people putting stories at the centerpiece of human existence or not existence, more so at, at the human undertaking overall, right? At, at the state of being a human. And Yeah, I think theory probably started with narrative. Right, but it's not only theory, though, is it? Because we, we do tend to turn theory into practice. And so narratives turn into practice. Sure. Yeah, it's our interpretation. Our interpretation of the world, um, I think, is baseline story driven. I think the first people trying to understand the world out on whichever plane it might have been were doing so through the medium of narrative rather than kind of making propositions about, you know, this is the case. And I think that it took some time for that way of using language to to occur. Um, nonetheless, the story element is quite deep inside of us. So if we're giving people stories through brands, how important do these stories or do brands become in humans' well-being and, and psyche overall? Yeah, good question. Um, well, if you permit me, can I sort of reverse out a little bit and... Um, provide a little bit of kind of historical context to kind of why I think this way. Yes, please. So um, Eric Fromm, the psychologist, um, he wrote a book called The Fear of Freedom. Um, and he starts it with a kind of a little historical story where in under feudal rule, people had a lot of security, but not very much freedom. And then as mercantile economies you know in, in genoa and venice started to arise and charter towns as well um like magdeburg um and there was a sort of loosening of the feudal chokehold on the people people ended up 
if they were capable and brave, frankly, having the ability to go and kind of write their own story, you know, go to the city, try and get involved in this or that endeavor. Um, in the charter towns, they would be going to perhaps universities, perhaps monasteries, perhaps guilds, trade guilds. Um, and so what you were seeing for the first time, perhaps, and this is reflected in, you know, uh, Renaissance humanism, is the individual preceding the collective. All of a sudden, my the community in which I grew doesn't just give me these pieces of identity and this sense of belonging. Um, the logic of markets, and obviously this is just extended into late stage capitalism where we are now, um, is to kind of atomize human beings as individual economic units, you know, not to sound like too much of a, a neo-Marxist, um, but I do think a lot of their um, diagnostics are correct, even if their prognostics are, are sometimes questionable. Um, so if we take that kind of historical story and we recognize the fact that humans have a deep desire for connection um, and being with others, um, that we are always already with other people, even when we're on our own, we're fundamentally social creatures, then there needs to be something to fill that gap, right, in, in society, whatever. And that there are lots of different answers to that, that question. Um, but I think that a very important one is we can enter into communities, firstly, and secondly, we can tell stories about ourselves. So these are the two things that I kind of focus on. I'm, I'm sure there are other ways of overcoming the sort of existential loneliness, I suppose, of all of a sudden being thrust into a world where you're much more on your own than you, than you were for the vast majority of human history. Um, and so, you know, in, in the same way that, you know, these charter towns, they were trying to attract people because, you know, more capable people working there, more trade, more wealth for the people that run them. Um, and it was the same with the guilds and the universities. Um, they really wanted to advertise themselves in order to get the best people, right? And on the other side, those people were being brought into a community and were able to define themselves. You know, they're no longer John from some rural backland somewhere in the middle of the Holy Roman Emperor, Empire. They're now, you know, the kind of um, part of a group of people creating, doing excellent goldsmith work. In, in Magdeburg, like it's a very, it's a very significant change in how we understand ourselves, right? Um, so in the same way as that, I think that people need this kind of psychological nourishment and community and a sense of belonging. And that to a large degree, that is currently being performed by brands. All right. So 
if I understand your point correctly, then in a way we're talking about brands substituting the previous society, the previous role of society, uh, your yeah. community more so of the collective, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Of the at least of the meaning making so structures of earlier societies, yeah. Right. So, so we're practically with branding, we're building new collectives, new identities, which build up new collectives, which previously have existed, say, in families or, or, or something like that. Is, is that more or less how I could bring that about? Yeah, I think that is, that is a pretty good approximation of, of what I'm trying and, and probably mm-hmm. failing terribly to say. But not at all. I believe, no, I wouldn't say so. Um, I, what I'm trying to get to is, I'm trying to see, because look, a couple of episodes ago, um, I talked um, to uh, to a, a, an influencer marketing company guy, and mm-hmm. he brought me one of the sentences that I love most so far. Like I had never heard this before. And he said, marketing is the, um, um, God, what was it? I lost it for a second. Marketing is the, uh, not proliferation, marketing is the, Anyway, let's call it proliferation for now. So marketing is the proliferation of desire at scale. Now, that is different from branding, for sure. So there's a difference between marketing and branding. But nonetheless, I I put that into a parallel with if marketing is the, call it for this moment, proliferation of desire at scale, (laughs) and then the core Buddhist term is all suffering derives from desire, then if brands play into that role of building these desires, then everything we're doing is evil. Whereas what I'm hearing from you, and that's why I wanted to bring that into a sentence, because what I'm hearing from you is, although we're talking about branding and not marketing, which certainly are different, but you're talking about new identities as a substitute of the previous society identities that have existed. And that changes a lot the, the idea behind what actually what we're talking, what we're building with these, with these brands. Yeah, so I think perhaps the way that we marry those two ideas is that okay, you're proliferating desire at scale, but not to be too kind of psychoanalytic about it, but humans already have libidinal drives. You know, we already have psychological drives of particular sorts, and those are shaped by our environment and our upbringing. Um, And we, to some degree, have a choice over how that raw desire is channeled. So I would say that it's not creating desire at scale. It's kind of making a pitch for the desire that you already have inside you to go in this direction. It's saying you should desire this thing. It's not saying I'm creating a new new desire. The desire is already there. It's channeling it. Is it though? Because look, I mean, I would argue that we've been more dopamine, we're, we're becoming more dopamine addicted than we ever were. And that is actually, you know, building up on desires. So desires exist by default, but you can either sort of um, feed them or not feed them. And I would say we as brands and generally speaking, the marketing companies have been feeding that that aspect as opposed to maintain, like maintaining the status quo, which would ideally be a bit more healthy. 
So I wouldn't necessarily say that desire is there and we're channeling it. I would say desire is there, we're channeling it and we're building it up. We're, we're increasing desire as, as a core, almost as a core function to our human uh, life, as opposed to desire having been shunned away for millennia from all, all religions um, that we know of, or the big religions, I, I would say. Or am I wrong in, in, in saying that? I see what you mean. I suppose what you could say is that there's a certain level of energy, right, that a human has. And are we creating lots and lots of desires through, you know, modern marketing? You know, you, you're too fat. You're too stupid. You're too ugly. Your phone sucks. It's two years old. What are you doing? Um, you know, you should have a better house. You should have a better car. You know, all of this stuff. Um, so yeah, I think it's creating more different desires. Absolutely. Um, and I think the, the question that you might be kind of, uh, gesturing towards here, um, is, um, Well, don't we don't we have a certain degree of responsibility as people, let alone as as business leaders, to ensure that the desire that we're suggesting people have is one that's actually going to nourish them? Like, call me a little bit anti-Buddhist here, but desire isn't bad, right? There are plenty of things that you can desire that are that are good, that are nourishing that move you and your collective forward. I think the, the problem is bullshit, right? People caring about bullshit. And, you know, if you're a marketer and you look in your heart of hearts and you say, actually, I'm trying to get people to care about bullshit, then, you know... But who decides what's bullshit, though? Like, look, I, I would say our, our value structure has kind of shattered. Now, to your initial point, uh, you know, you could easily argue that that has been happening since that age of pre-industrial era, right? Um, or maybe it never existed and we, we over-romanticize the idea of a value structure. Um, <laughs> that's also up for debate. But my question is, like, who decides what is a good desire to have? You know, if, you know, some, someone can say you need a better car, um, Someone can say that's bullshit. Someone can say you need to be skinny. Someone can say that's bullshit. Who decides? How do we decide? What society are we building as marketers? If we are the ones building the stories around people, which are absolutely fundamental to human well-being, I'd say. Um, well, I think, firstly, it's important to note that there are some mo- modes of desire that are just obviously not helpful. Right, so we can put all of those in the bin immediately, um, and then I suppose you know it's it's up to each individual to figure out what their their moral compass is, what they think human flourishing amounts to, um, and I, I think you know the the history of literature is is replete with people asking this question, you know, what is the good? Um, I think absolutely 
as a society, we we don't really have a shared understanding of what the good is, and that's a that's a big problem. Um, but as individuals making decisions that have ethical ramifications, I, I think it's just incumbent upon us to um, form an idea of what we think helping people, communities, societies to flourish looks like. I think there is a truth of the matter, but I'm not going to say that um, I have any kind of unique access to it. So, in the world of religion, um, absolutism exists and an absolute truth exists, and oftentimes in the world of philosophy as well. So, it depends on where, you know, the borders sometimes may be blurry. Um, but you, you said earlier, you know, some ideas aren't helpful and we can just get rid of those. Are we sure that we we agree on what those are? Because it seems to me like there's a lot of disagreement on what is helpful and what isn't as an idea. Even the basic ones that one would think is obvious, how obvious is it? And where, again, like where do we stand? So I, I suppose if I were to bring it on very practical terms, right? Um, I was doing um, this, this branding for a... Um, um, aesthetics company so like you know facial um, injections that type of stuff and it was so easy man like we would get we would get about um 50 cents per message and all we would do is just tell people like oh do you do you smell a little funny today because it's warmer and then everybody would write to get botox in their in their skin so that they could get rid of the of the you know of of the sweat right now one could say that's arguably and easily a bad thing the others would say absolutely not and so how you know i i was in the middle of that now personally i've stopped like i've literally said i won't deal with that type of business including political uh, sort of um, organizations or religious organizations for the same reasons because i do not understand the extent of the effect that they have in humans life not that i do for the rest but it's sometimes a little easier to work with some product that you buy and and don't like you want and you don't want, but they don't interfere with your direct well-being. Um, so, how do we know that there are some desires that aren't helpful and that we can agree on? Well, I'll take an example, um, and I think it's about the why, right? Um, are you convincing someone that they absolutely must go to the gym because? they're worthless and looking excellent is really important and that they should care primarily about how they look. And if they make those physical changes, then, you know, they'll, they'll be more comfortable with themselves. Or are you saying that, you know, physical fitness is a kind of a way of strengthening your mind, strengthening your body, so that you're able to overcome challenges. It's about proving things to yourself. Um, these are very different things. Um, and so this is why the story is important, going back to the initial definition. What story are you telling? You know, it's not necessarily about the product that you're marketing, but rather the 
motivations that you're using in order to get people to purchase it? Um, are they motivations that should be watered? Or are they motivations that ideally wouldn't be part of the, the individual's psyche in the first place? So let's absolutely, let's sell things and let's, let's get great product and service out there. But I think it's really important to make sure that the motivations you're tapping into are ones that are good at the end of the day, because, you know, acting on a motivation, it's again, it's like going to the gym. The more you act on that motivation, the stronger that muscle gets. Um, so th this is the delineation that that I'd make. Um, yeah. So that's actually very interesting for me. Interesting for the fact. So I've, I've had this other conversation with another marketer or brand guy, and he he just worked with a um, sort of shaving kit company that was about to fail, and he said, look. All we did was we switched all the marketing around and we said, this is a shaving product for transgender people. And then, you know, the business boomed. And I, I, I continue from that moment, I've continuously had this conversation with myself as to, you know, product hasn't changed much. They changed the story all of a sudden. There's all this or all this thing. And again, going back to desires and going back to identities, are we pushing on, on politics about identities? Because we need to sell more products, right? But now, I mean, you know, when you look at the results, you can see that they're out there. And, you know, a similar case had been back, was it in the 60s, I believe, Edward Bernays, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, the dates, but Edward Bernays would use cigarettes in women's rights marches, right, to sell to the other half of the population. And so... Was that for women's rights or was that to sell more products, right? And again, that identity politics played in, in directly in the role of, of branding and marketing. But to this degree of intent, um, I've been getting this answer of intent very often, right? The, the why at the end of it. But to your point, selling the story is just as much value as selling the product. So if you're motivating the person to go to gym because it's good for them, then selling the product with it automatically becomes good. Um, well, maybe not automatically, but somewhat. Um, it's a very interesting concept. Can you actually go just a little bit deeper on that? So we're selling the story and we're selling the product. Why is it important for the story to be good, good in, term, in, in religious terms, right? <laughs> to be good such that the product takes its positive meaning as well? How does, or more so, like, how does selling the product all of a sudden becomes a good thing to do if the story is right? Um, well, firstly, there's, there's probably no good story to tell about a machine for killing babies, right? So, you know, the product needs to have a, a, an outcome that's at least morally neutral, right? Before but one would argue one, but I, I will have to stop you there because like one could easily argue that that's exactly what abortion is, because that's the the big deal, right? We're killing. Okay, babies. well, I mean, so choose choose, choose a, a less controversial. <laughs> choose choose a less controversial topic. Then um, I was talking about ones right. that were you know out out in the world. Um, okay, fair enough. Yeah. So so yeah, there's a. There's a psychological surplus to any product that has a really strong brand. Um, I think Zizek 
talks about this in relation to Coca-Cola, um, which, which I have to have some here. Um, it is just a black, fizzy, sweet liquid at the end of the day. But is it not the case that the meaning gathering that's done by the Coca-Cola brand means that I'm not just drinking the fizzy liquid, I'm drinking a constellation of kind of meanings, um, a hedonistic one, I, su I suppose. Um, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that, um, that via the material product, we get access to feelings and ideas and so on and so forth. Um, so we should really collapse those two things together, in my opinion, that the sort of phenomenologically, if you want to use a horrible philosophical word, um, that the, the material thing and then the, um, the ideas associated with it are kind of part of the same entity. So when you change the story around something, you change the something, in my opinion. It becomes something else. Its significance changes. Um, now, I think that you also mentioned the thing about um, the ethical side of it and, and how do we make sure that those stories are um, beneficial. Well, I'll go back to my, to my little story. Um, people find themselves alienated in this, this day and age, right? They then become open to finding the things they're missing, the meaning that might nourish them. Once they become open to finding new ideas, they'll start seeking for them, seeking them. And once they've found them, those become, can become a vehicle to self-actualize. Right. So you'll, you'll find this, I mean, particularly with cults, right? Let's use an unethical example. Exactly. Because that's, that's more well, That's fun. exactly where I was getting. So, okay, yeah. absolutely. That's exactly what I was getting. Okay, okay. So, do that. Exactly so, that. So right. in the cult, the person feels, they feel rejected by society. They feel like something's missing their whole lives. They're then open. They're looking for something to give them that meaning. And then when someone steps in and feeds them a whole pile of horseshit, they love it because it gives them the emotional nourishment. And there's an incredible amount of critical thinking that just goes straight out the window, <laughs> right? And, and then, you know, they become very malleable and susceptible to manipulation and we end up with a nasty, horrible cult, right? But now let's go back to the beginning. You have someone that's alienated and open and seeking that nourishment, whatever it is. And what we present to them isn't a satanic death cult, right? It's like a community of like-minded people who both have, who all have the same weird interest. And that community is uh, presented through a brand, through certain ideas and through certain behaviors. And then they belong in there. You know, the, the slightly paradoxical thing is that we become more ourselves 
once we join a group, if it's the right group. And then, you know, through that new sort of community that they find themselves in, they can self-actualize and grow. Um, now, I think that on a slightly smaller scale, you can get the same thing with, with brands, right? I'm going to buy an Android rather than an Apple because it underscores the fact that I think differently to reverse the old um, marketing slogan. Um, and, and yeah, that, that makes me more confident to be myself and express myself in this or that way. And, you know, you'll pick up lots of different products and services and behaviors that, that all do that. And collectively, these will all be part of the story that you tell yourself about yourself. Um, now, with that in mind, I think it's, it's quite easy to see that the motivation behind acquiring a product or consuming a service is really important. Because if you're buying a, I don't know, um, if you're getting a uh, pentagram tattoo on your chest because it um, makes you feel more you and affirms your opinion that everyone is worthless, that's not psychological baggage that we want to be attached to the physical thing, is it? Um, and if, if, if you can sell things that make people more generous, make them feel more important, make them feel more connected, um, then um, I think that's what we'd all like to, like to aim for. Did I manage to attach the weird little history story to the, um, to the Coke can? Uh, I, I believe so, but I want to go with this one step further. So when I introduced you, I said, look, this is the guy that has a theory attached to his practice. And so I want to go to all gold racing right now. Because, look, we've been working for years to build a community in old gold racing. I believe to a certain degree, you've definitely managed to build a really good community. I've, I've looked at the posts. I've looked at the way that people actually behave in the community. And it's incredible to see. And we talk a lot about how people in our community, uh, well, in the old gold community, uh, are connected not only to the idea of, of the sport, but more so to the, to the uh, almost like there's this sense of anthropomorphization of the horses themselves, but then there's also this strong bond that's being created from, from horse owners. And to your point that a group identity can support self-actualization. How do you see that? How, first of all, how have you built that? If I were to start a business from scratch, how have you built a community like that in Old Gold that is, insofar as I've been able to see, very positive in, in its behavior and its, its, its meaningfulness? And also, how do you see these people moving one step further towards their self-actualization through the group? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I don't want to psychoanalyze or be condescending about our customer base because because um, they're people that I, I respect. So I'm going to have to speak in generalities here a little bit. Um, 
for a lot of our a lot of our customer base is uh, people who are in their second youth. Um, so perhaps their dependents um, are either you know deceased or in a home or at university and going out into the world, and they are at a point where they don't really care too much about additional material acquisition, getting more stuff. Um, they're much more interested in experiences. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, you could argue that the, the horse racing industry is as much a kind of events and entertainment industry as it is a sporting industry. Um, because you go and you spend the whole day there and there's it's got its own jargon, it's got its own you know, things that you wear, it's got its own culture, essentially. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, these folks, they want to get out there and they want to, you know, meet new people and they want to support their horse and, and cheer at home, and go to stable visits and meet people and see the horse there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we are in a space where it's kind of relatively easy to, to do this stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think that we are getting people more into the racing world. So racing is very idiosyncratic. And from the outside, it can sometimes look a little bit alien. Um, and because it's idiosyncratic, it means that its value when incorporated into a story that you're telling yourself is very high. I'm a racing person. You could say that and it wouldn't sound weird. Um, so allowing a sort of quite accessible route into that sphere is part of what we do. So that's a lot of kind of telling stories. Um, we also, we must absolutely act the way that we would like our community to act. Just It's just standard leadership, right? So the way that we speak must always be the way that we, you know, expect our, you know, people to speak to each other. The values that we, we have to always embody the values that we project. Um, otherwise, it, it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel like you're part of something, right? Um, Yeah, I, those, I'd start with those two things. Um, my brain will get going on this topic and I'll, I'll, I'll remember a few, a few other bits and bobs. Um, but yeah, and it's also, here's, this is important. Um, when we say that we are something or that we belong to a group, we're not just making a positive statement, we're making a negative statement too if the statement is meaningful. You're saying, I'm not that, I'm not that. So as a strategist or a consultant or a business leader, you have to be prepared to do the slightly scary thing of saying, we're not selling to those people, right? Because I'm not gonna say that you need an enemy. That's, that's probably a little bit too much, but you need a clear idea of what who this is not for, right? So we're quite clear that this is not for people who are just looking to make money off of prize money, who don't really care about the horses and their stories, um, 
and you know who basically see horse racing as a vehicle for their for their gambling not that i have anything wrong ethically with gambling it's it's just we're much more this is much more a case of going on the journey with the horse and with other people and seeing where it goes and kind of doing it with generosity of spirit and meeting new people and having a good time um for what should feel like uh, a ridiculously low price um so we will we will ask people we'll refund people and ask them to leave um if if we don't feel we've, we've done it lots and lots of times um it, that's fine like you don't this isn't for you cool uh, adios have a good one but that's it's very hard for me to try to bring together everything that you've said because um in all the answers there it seems like the um the best course forward is in the middle of all extremes but the extremes have to exist constantly in the journey so to to make a point to what i'm trying to allude here is um you you know we're building identities the second that you build identities an identity is something that you are and then something that you're not the moment you have something that you're, you're not, helping you're helping others to build identities as a marketer I right think that's, that's important you're not you're not doing the building they are sorry exactly right so so no no that that's actually very that's that's very good so also because i want to get to the aspect of politics and this i believe very much ties with that right so okay so we're trying to build brands that are that will scale globally that's our goal or globally or whatever it is we want to build successful brands the brand means that it is an identity to the individual that buys into the brand right the story that they buy into by buying into that story they will realize that they are something and they're not something else by not being something else there have to be a certain idea of what an enemy looks like even if that's a big word but i'm putting it out there because as we keep building these we're building more on extremes extremes and extremes but somewhere in the middle is where i believe you're alluding to building the brand where all of these extreme forces exist but we need to navigate the space in between that seems like the the brand builder needs to be a prophet <laughs> you know is yeah, that yeah, is that yeah. the burden we have to carry well i mean this is put it this way if if you run a game theoretic experiment yeah and this is something that machiavelli noticed famously um if you have one player who is constrained in the actions that they can commit i.e let's say that means unethical code versus a player that is completely unconstrained if you run that game enough times the one that is completely unconstrained will win right that's if it's re that's repeat games but not with the same players that's that's important um and these are finite games So yeah um if if you're going to say that you have particular duties 
particular things to avoid, um, things that you won't do, by definition, you're, you're limiting your, your range of action. Um, we should be very, very impressed by people that achieve incredible things within self-imposed constraints, shouldn't we? Because they're amazing, uh, because they've, they've managed to execute with, within, those, um, within those fine margins. Um, so if your question is, it seems that what I'm saying makes life harder to sell stuff. Yes, yeah, it does. But how, how, how do we get ourselves in the right place for that? So, okay, I'm, I'm going to throw something again at you um, personally in this case. But Oh, God. It, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but I have to. I have to because, look, I've been, to be honest, I've been marveling at what you've built with old gold for way too long from afar. Uh, despite our conversations and oftentimes, you know, uh, pushes and, and, and all of those challenges, I, I do marvel at it with, with great admiration. Um, because... Despite it, precisely for the fact that you kind of mentioned, despite the fact that it can go directly towards betting, and that for me, like desire proliferating direction, in fact, you've been able to pull into a community based direction. And when I see people and your customers, it's a treat, man. It's a treat. It's something that, you know, it doesn't feel like us and them. There's no us and them. It's like, we all kind of won. Or if we if the horse lost, everybody lost. And it's it's about everyone at the same time. And looking at this conversation and, and knowing a bit about you, it feels like for that to have happened, there had there needed to be someone who actually had their values, their internal personal values very well developed. And I don't mean only um, on paper, I mean very much enact them on a daily basis. And we've, you know, we've both been at tough situations where those values have actually had to be pushed to the boundaries. And I've seen you there. And, and how does one go about, so, okay, so I'm this guy running this brand agency and I build these stories for companies to put towards their customers. How do I, how do I do that? How do I do that in a way that I end up with the result that you've ended with? Oh God. Well, I mean, firstly, um, we we always need to be humble enough to understand the uh, the role that chaos plays in in all of this. So it's very difficult to know whether one's character traits, you know, it, whether you've uh, succeeded because of them or in spite of them. It's very difficult to to unravel that. Right. Um, I, but I would say, you know, I was a big fan of um, uh, what's the book called? Uh, just looking at my shelf behind me. Da, 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 da. Oh, Competing Against Luck, um, which I think is Clayton Christensen. Um, and in it, he kind of expounds jobs to be done. Um, this is going to test my memory a, a little bit. So forgive me any. Uh, Christensen acolytes learning when I when I screw this up um, that there is a kind of functional element to 
There's a functional job to be done. There are social jobs to be done and there are emotional jobs to be done, right? And th this is quite basic stuff. It's like, why is the father buying the drill bit, right? Well, he's buying it so that he can make a hole in the wall. It's like, well, he doesn't want just want a hole in the wall. He wants to put up a shelf. Yeah, he wants to put up a shelf, but he wants to put up the shelf so that he can put books on it. But why does he want to put the books on the shelf? So, oh, because his, his wife likes reading. She leaves them, you know, well, he steps on them every now and again. So why does he want to solve that? Well, because he wants to be perceived as a good husband by a woman that he respects and loves. And that's going to help him, you know, build self-respect, move forward, show his love for, for his wife materially, right? So I think we can do this with everything. And, and sometimes you will end in, like once you've done that reduction, you'll end up in quite a dark place, right? So we want to avoid trying to get people to buy drill bits by using that dark place as the goal, right? You want to use the light places, I think, at least um, from an ethical perspective. So I suppose what I'd say is it's what is this, what is this customer base actually lacking? Not what they think they lack, but what are they actually lacking and how do we help them move forwards with their pro projects? How do we help them flourish and become better versions of them? And how do we tell a story where the carrot on the end of the stick is a, is a good carrot, not a bad carrot? So that you're motivating them using, you know, um, using things that are kind of founded in a good place and, and not in a bad place. I want to jump into another bit. So, uh, well, all the time I'm trying to compress everything that's been discussed and then decompress and compress. So it's a bit of a different... <laughs> I'm terrible at compressing things, by the way. Well, I mean, this conversation has been different in a lot of levels, and I think I've also written that in the in the one sort of one letter I sent. Um, this has not been a pre-ready-made question. This has been just a bunch of topics, as opposed to my ready-made questions. So it's a very different type of podcast for me as well. So, um, but if we look at all of these micro identities being created, so. Right, we're building stories for people. Um, all of these stories have been, um, so they, I believe, used to be, and to your first point, much more sort of um, centralized, either towards the family, religion, society, like, like the, 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 the localized societies before people could move very quickly from one place to another. Now we've sort of exploded, the, exploded these identities into different brands, right? So you can be, you build your, individual identity as a consumer through various brands by by um, sort of uh, bringing all of these stories from each of these brands within you to build one story of your life as to who you are. Now, how does all of this explosion of stories, uh, or to use the, the term, which is I don't think is the right term here at all, but the democratization of stories, um, at a macro level, how does that play into the into politics and that, how does politics play into branding 
right? Because then politics builds that that overarching story uh, that roughly 50% of the democratic societies would fall under, right? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think firstly, it's kind of important to um, point to um, what Kierkegaard would, I think, call the dizziness of freedom, um, kind of in a postmodern context where you're not given a grand narrative, you're not given a meaning structure, um, and it can be pretty mind-boggling picking one. Like the idea of picking seems seems a strange and arbitrary thing to do when you're talking about an actual value structure, right? So yeah, the the kind of predicament that we found ourselves in is, is one where you either have to be just kind of naturally drawn to a particular way of thinking and, and feeling, or you need to put in quite a lot of work to get there. And um, probably preceding the work was um, a quite a good deal of melancholy and, and ennui. Um, I think that um, going back to that, you know, we we no longer have that grand master narrative in our societies, do we? Like communism was a complete failure, um, as was the fascist project. Christendom dissolved. Um, even the kind of neoliberal dream was kind of was was horribly marred by the lies that were told by the likes of kind of Bush and and Blair around Iraq. You know, it was I think um, filmmaker uh, Curtis. I think I think it is. Uh, he said, you know, we no longer talk about the power of dreams. Um, we, it's more like the fear of nightmares. So the terrorist threat, the ecological threat, you know, insidious, institutionalized racism, etc. And, you know, those things undoubtedly have large grains of truth in them, for sure. But what's missing is a positive element. Not what we run away from, but what are we running to? Like, guys, what are we doing here? Like, what are we trying to build? You know, if you had a company where it was just you led your team being like, we've got to avoid that. We've got to avoid that. And we've got to avoid that. They'd be like miserable, paranoid, and completely unfulfilled, right? So it's like, where are we going? You know, that's how you get people excited. And that's why there was so much fervor after the kind of death of God um, around, you know, all of a sudden something moved into the space that God had vacated and, and uh, it ended up not working very well. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, I, we we lack a shared understanding of of where we're going in a, in a positive sense. Um, now, relating that back to brands and so on, um, well, you can either capitalize on the divisiveness that that causes and sell your stuff that way, but I would argue that that's probably not an optimal thing to do from a kind of ethical perspective. On the flip side, perhaps. And I'm just riffing here. Brands have a role to play in setting out little stories and small visions for how the world can be. And that rather than it coming from, you know, the papacy and then just being flushed down, it's actually a bottom up um, exercise. Um, and that the, 
that ends through this collage of different um, brands starts to emerge a kind of clearer picture of, uh, of, of a vision of the future that, that we might be able to, if not all agree on, we're not going to all agree on it, let's be honest, <laughs> at least a large enough portion can, can agree on that, that we, we don't feel quite so ruddy. So, so I will argue that I did start this conversation with precisely where we are with the world, what is wrong, everything that's wrong. And I think we're ending on a note to, oh, well, brands are not the end of the world. They might just be the grassroots model to the new vision of the world. Yeah. <laughs> I did not ex there, I think they might be an important part of the picture. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think they'll do it all. They won't do it all themselves. But um given their reach and given their power, um uh I would I would be stunned if they weren't part of the solution. Well, I did not expect to have such a positive ending to this conversation. Um I will add one last question, though, uh, that I usually ask, and, and I'm sure you'll have a lot to share here. Um, but I'd love to know some of the either podcasts, books, anything really cool to read about these things that you know viewers might wanna might wanna look at. Right. So I think um, podcasts and websites. I'm probably not going to be offering anything particularly interesting to people um, from the books angle. Just. Running back through our conversation, I'll just reel off a few titles. Um, the, the Weirdest People in the World. Um, can't remember who it's by, Josh something, but it's absolutely brilliant piece of history, psychology and, and sociology. Um, the Inventing of the Individual. Read that recently. It's about how the notion of like the modern notion of the individual didn't just come from ancient Greece and pop up in the Renaissance. There was actually a lot of psychological work being done inside the church for hundreds of years. So that was interesting to me. Um, the Fear of Freedom by Eric Fromm that I, I mentioned earlier. Um, obviously, the first person I mentioned was probably Seth Godin. And when it comes to theorizing about marketing, I don't really think you have to look much further. Um, I think he's I think he's really brilliant. Um, his books are sort of very easy to read, but you can you can smell that he's done, you know, like some proper theoretical work underneath it. Um, and on, honestly, I could I could kind of I could go on, um, but perhaps I'll send you an email after this with a with a short list of things, and you can pop it in the show notes or whatever. That actually sounds good. I should probably be starting a whole document to share with everyone because now I'm building a list of interesting uh, sort of Well, yeah, resources. Tim Ferriss does that. There's, there's a podcast if, if you, if you right. listen to it. Tim <laughs> the Tim Ferriss show, obviously, yeah. um, is great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, James, thank you so much for this conversation. To be honest, um, it's been one of the, well, one, definitely one of the best conversations I've had. But then again, um, me and you have had a lot of conversations, so I'm not surprised. Uh, but I, I really, really Thanks. appreciate your time and uh, really appreciate the information you brought today. Also, um, it's been a while that I've been struggling with some of these issues and we haven't had the chance to talk because you're all the way in the UK now. So uh, it's been really good having these on the table back. Yeah, man. Thanks very much for having me. It's been fun. All right. 
Thank you. And for everyone out there listening, thank you so much for taking the time to, to walk with us through this conversation. Uh, feel free to you know follow, share, whatever is out there in the buttons around us.